Charles Darwin argued that the break in evolutionary history between apes and humans came between the Negro or Australian and the gorilla. Thus, he thought that blacks are the closest human beings to apes. He believed that black people were less intelligent than Caucasians and that women were less intelligent than men. Even Darwin's book, Origin of Species, has a subtitle that few seem to know. Do you know that subtitle? It is the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Who did Darwin think were the favored races? Darwin believed Caucasian people were the favored races. Darwin's theories and all theories have consequences. Listen to this. Colored people are like human weeds and are to be exterminated. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. The most merciful thing the large family does for one of its members is to kill it. That was from Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. All these views and thoughts came out of one's worldview. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I'm thinking, I think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment. And the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual. This podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Today we have the Stop and Think About It crew. We have Glenn, the West Indian wordsmith. We also have Steve, the Brooklyn Berean, and I'm your host, Phil, the sensei. And today we're taking a little bit of a different route. Instead of continuing on ancient heresies and modern clothes, we're going to throw the gloves off to tackle the great importance of having a biblical worldview. Let's take time to stop and think about it. So before we talk about having a worldview, we really have to define what a worldview actually is. So, guys, what is a worldview? Well, I mean, a worldview is how we view the world. I agree with that. Really? So, a worldview is how we view the world, how the world works, and our place in the world. So, everyone views the world through a lens. And it colors the way that people interpret all of life. So, I, I would also argue, Phil, sorry about that. That's okay. It's still an open question, right? Open that question. That is also what we do. And what we do based on how we think, Mm -hmm. based on our views, our beliefs, our convictions, it comprises one's collection of presuppositions, convictions, values, the way you were brought up by your parents, or even if you had no parents, you have your one parent, two parents, a grandma raised you, all of those things have to do with how one's worldview comes into being. And I agree with all of that, but let's let's define some stuff. Well, presupposition is basically an idea that you consciously or unconsciously apply to everything before you have an argument or a course of action. Right. So an example of that would be you you have this belief that white men can't jump. You go to a basketball um, game. I, I can't jump. <laughs> I'm not. Well, not all presuppositions are wrong. I right? got I got jumped once, <laughs> but they all fell. Right. So you so you go into a thing and you you go to a basketball game and you say, well, he can't jump. So presupposition, you you come to the situation and you already have beliefs about it before you even read about it. Exactly. Exactly. It could be new. It could be old. But it's just something that. It's 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 an unexamined thought. So does everyone have a presupposition? Yeah, you have to. You can't so, survive in this world without one. And this comes into play with reading as well, right? Uh, so, so if I'm reading something, who determines the meaning of the text? The author. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Authorial but when, intent. But when you come with a presupposition, you put meaning into the text that the author never meant. Well, for example, I was just going to say something about that. First Timothy 2.12, when Paul says, a woman should not teach... Right. If you have a worldview of egalitarianism where, where, where we're all equal, you have a problem with that. And, and let's not go into what the fact that that's wrong, but that colors how you read that scripture because you're not taking the biblical worldview. You're not taking the, what the author meant in the whole chapter, the whole book of the Bible. Yes. Yeah, so you believe that equality means that everyone should be able to do everything else that everyone else does. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that we hear from people 
when when who think they don't have a worldview or, or let me start it here can you but can you not realize you have a worldview oh absolutely a lot of people would say i don't have a worldview i'm just looking at the world the way it is common and, sense so they they're viewing themselves kind of like the umpire i'm just calling the balls and strikes like i see them exactly. right right I, i'm looking straight down the middle you know this is just how it is their common sense isn't what that's not very common. <laughs> if it sounds like a duck and walks like a duck, it's got to be a duck. It's gotta exactly, be a duck. but they have a worldview, and yes. so it, it's it's dangerous to to think that you have the right view and everyone else has the wrong view without recognizing that it's there's differences and you have a particular set of presuppositions that you already are working from, and, and it's it's not wrong to have that, but you should at least examine it to know if it's true or not. So, are there people that have right and wrong worldviews then? Is it okay to say someone has a wrong worldview? Well, yes, because there can only be one right. Yeah. So but you can't have two opposing views and both be right. A man who decides he wants to work with children because he's a pedophile, what would we say about his worldview? Wrong. 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 <laughs> exactly. Wrong. So a worldview is kind of like when you pour the pieces of a puzzle out onto a table. So you're looking at the puzzle box, and every time you pick up a piece, you put it in conjunction to where you think it fits to form that picture. And so everything you do in life, life gives you a piece, a puzzle, and you put it into place where you think it goes. So let me give you an example. So I work in the inner city, and if I say the word police, there are a handful of students that I have that think bad, wrong, abuse, uh, brutality. And there are some other students that say good, helpful, but it's all according to their worldview, the way they were brought up and the things they were taught, perhaps the experiences that they had, the music they listened to and the like as to how they view uh, those that we would call New York City's finest, the men in blue. To piggyback to on an analogy, it's kind of like you you have a puzzle piece. Yes. You have a box, yes. but it's not for the, that puzzle. And you're trying to put it together. That's a, that's <laughs> a wrong view. Yes. You have a puzzle for a woman. You got pieces for a man, and you're trying to make it match up to the to the thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So so just real quick, because we are limited time, you know. So a worldview can encompass a lot of things, such as a big government versus a small government. Yes, a marriage between a man and a woman, or as opposed to a marriage between anybody and anything, or inferiority or superiority of of, of a race. You yes, know? those are all worldviews. Those are all encompassing things. And Absolutely, a, and a good like short definition is. A worldview understands and interprets the world and our place in it. Yes. It's your GPS system to say, I am here. This is where I want to go. And every single person has a worldview. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Do you yes. think it's possible for someone to have a worldview and not know that they actually have one? Have you been to any churches lately? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes. I've got a lot of people professing to be Christians and then you see their life and it's a complete opposite. I got people pl- you know? professing to be prophets and apostles <laughs> and I don't see their names in the Bible anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, even, even inside a church, we see people professing one thing and doing a complete opposite. A good example is abortion. You know, they say they love children. They say they love life, but they're willing to take a life and they have no problem with women choosing to take a life so i mean someone's worldview really colors everything that they do in life and they might not even realize that they're doing things according to the rose-colored glasses that they're wearing and they're seeing the world in a certain viewpoint from a certain vantage point and so coming to christ we take off those rose-colored glasses, and now we have biblical glasses put on. Or was that too early to say that? No, no, it's right on time. <laughs> well, 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 let's keep it moving, though. How is a worldview formed? Well, that's a good question. Um, Glenn, you said something earlier in our conversation about how a worldview is formed. Can you say that again? Well, it's the idea about this nature versus nurture, right? I like that. That even if you deny sin, it's because it's who we are, right? It's our, Or the cultural worldview. So let me say it again more simply. So our nature, which we, we talked about in the other podcast, is of sin, that we were born with a sinful nature, with a, a depraved nature. Or you can look at the... you can be So a, then everything we view is going to be tainted by sin. Exactly. So it's going to be a warped view, not a right view. Exactly. Or if you're unbiblical, you're going to say, well, to, to err is human, mm-hmm. right? So that's a worldview. Or, and, that, and that's one way it's formed. 
or it could be nurtured through the culture such as you know rap music such as you know the the food you eat the things that you're you like american culture is different than they say the, the con- uganda the conversations you hear around the dinner table yes yes the view of women is going to be a little bit different in a muslim country than it's going to be in a christian household so when you listen to music growing up as a kid that makes women out to be a sexual object you're going to have a world view of what women look like correct we're, we're listening to a different songs steve <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big hip hop fan. <laughs> I, I was listening to reggae, but yes, and even in dancehall, it's it's a very um, warped view of women. And yes, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna um, filter what you see women as. You're gonna be more sexual objects than what they really are. So the old saying, "Garbage in, garbage out." Right. So here's an example of a worldview: a parent is upset at what their child is doing, so they take the child and they put the child in timeout. What Christian parent should do that because we don't see when we sin against God that God doesn't put us in a timeout and distance himself, if you will, from us and say, you go over there, I'm going to stay over here so you can think about what you did that's wrong and then come back and make amends with me. God doesn't like shun us to the side, does he? No. So why would a Christian parent put their kid in timeout? This is why. Because they've taken something from Parenting Magazine, they've heard something from Oprah or Dr. Phil or somewhere, and they've just pulled that in to their worldview, and they've never asked themselves the question, is that biblical? They're just toting some party line out there and not ever wondering if that is pleasing to God. Another example, real men don't cry. That's not ladylike. These are all phrases we're familiar with because we have been taught that. We've seen it. It's been modeled. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Was he a real man? Because real men don't cry. He was was the realest man that has ever lived. And all men should strive to be like him in thought, word, and and deed. Some outcomes of worldviews. So you were talking about children. So when a child learns to pout and cry to manipulate people to get his way, and that's never corrected, how is that person going to grow up and view the world? How do I get what I want? You pout, you cry, you Throw take a temper your ball, all of that. Exactly. That's, not a good, that's not a good way? It happens. In, <laughs> I see it happening in the workplace. I'm learning exactly. a lot today. I'm learning a lot. Yeah, those who you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Exactly. Those same kids grow up, and then they complain at work and complain at work until they get what they want. We can always classify things down to the to all in any way we want. But I would say there's two different views, right? There's a a Christian worldview and a secular worldview, or a biblical worldview and a secular worldview. And I think. Even to narrow that down even a little further, Glenn, I heard someone say this and it was really good. They were talking about slavery, right? And so we know slavery is evil. Yes. And slavery happened, you know, in the 1800s. And he said, I'm not so much concerned about what happened in the 1800s. That's a secular worldview. I'm concerned what happened in the garden. That -hmm. would be a biblical worldview. Well, we're enslaved to sin. Exactly. And sin is the problem. Slavery doesn't happen without the fall in the garden. Exactly. And so we need to get to a biblical worldview in order to find the solutions to the sin that we see in the world. And we can't use the secular worldview because it denies that sin is the problem. Good catch, Steve. Would you would you argue that some of the so, so some of the unrest we have today is this idea that well, we passed a law that you can vote. We passed a law that slavery is bad. And there's some people who still feel like, well, even with that law, Slavery is still happening, or there's still these issues, but they don't understand that the heart of that is sin. Every racism, bigotry, anything that you can name is because of sin. You've just proven that if you make a law, it's not enough. Yes. And you hear people saying, we need to rid the world of racism. Good luck. How can you rid the world of racism? You cannot go inside someone's heart and make a law. And so that law now changes the heart. I mean, isn't that what the whole... uh, uh, Old Testament taught us that the law cannot change the human heart. Theodicy is the focus that if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? But see, the reality is there are no good people, according to Scripture. We are all evil. And so if God were to rid the world of evil, what if he starts with you? You see, everyone thinks the problem is out there, but it's the in here. problem is inside of us. And that's why law, God's law is good. God's law is not bad. God's law is good. Yes. But the problem is that law can never change the heart. Right. And God provided something better 
redemption. Right, right. But we, we're getting we're getting to the minute stuff now. Let's let's keep it big. I love the minute let's stuff. Keep, let's keep it big. And I, and I think our audience does too. Well, let's keep it big. So there's two major classifications, right? There is relativism and then there is this objective or God-centered. Absolutely. So relativism is that uh, you call things the way that you see them and everything is subjective. So in other words, truth is subjective, but then it can't be truth because for something to be true, it's got to be true for all people at all times in all places. It's objective, constant, it's universal. So picture you're driving down the street and a police officer pulls you over and says, you're speeding uh, in an area set aside for blind children. And so he says, you're only supposed to go 15 miles an hour. And you say to the officer, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. You're not talking about truth at that point. You're giving your own opinion. You see, truth exists and truth by its nature, it does divide. Gravity is true in Afghanistan, China, and the United States. It's true for all people, men, women, children, and it's true at all times. Gravity was here yesterday, four weeks ago. It'll be here tomorrow. Phil, See, come on. Rel- relativism doesn't work in banking. No. <laughs> right? And it doesn't work in court. When you run a stop sign and you tell the officer, yeah, but that sign doesn't mean stop for me. Guess what? You're still going to get a ticket. Yeah. Well, but- well, 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 Phil and Steve, but I mean, but well, who's the one that's going to determine what's true for all people? Absolutely. So God is a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. But truth has to be defined. And truth is that which corresponds with reality. There is a sign that says 55 miles an hour. There is a speedometer in your vehicle. And there is a radar gun (laughs) that the officer has. (laughs) You put all that together, either you're speeding or not speeding. Either my wife is pregnant or not pregnant. She can't be pregnant at the same time and in the same sense and not pregnant at the same time and in the same sense. So this brings us to the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be and not be at the same time and in the same sense. Well, oh, oh, Phil, are you, are you trying to tell me I can't self-identify as Sidney Poitier? That's what I'm telling you. I, I don't know if I'm agreeing with <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just kidding, guys. The whole self-identification system is all relative. If you say you're something, then you are that thing. I can't just say, you know what, guys? I'm the new president of the United States. Nobody voted for me, but I'm going to the Oval Office, and I don't mean the bathroom. I'm going to be sitting in the White House from now on. I'm going to be governing the country. Saying I'm the president doesn't make me the president. So so anyway, basically, that's a man-centered view. That's the secular worldview. Absolutely. No matter how you skin it, you're, you, it's, it's, you are the center of the universe. You are God of this universe. So who's the authority in a secular view? The person. The person. Yeah. Whoever, the person. whatever thought I have, I'm the authority. I believe that there is no right and wrong. So what's wrong with that, Phil? What is that story we read? That well, we Steve, at? actually, when you say there's no right or wrong, is that statement right or, is or wrong? wrong? Exactly. And if you say there's no such thing as, as truth or fairness. Yeah. I mean, you're just contradicting yourself by the very statement that you're making. So I like what R.C. Sproul said. He, uh, a woman came up and asked a question in a Q&A and said, my brother doesn't believe in sin. You know what he said? Steal his wallet. (laughs) (laughs) You make him a believer. Exactly. And the story you you were referring to, there was a student that wrote a paper, a thesis, an essay on there's no such thing as rightness or wrongness, fair and justice or fairness and justice. And so the teacher gives him an F and the guy says, why'd you give me an F? And he goes, you handed it in a blue folder. I don't like blue folders. He goes, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. He couldn't sustain his own view. Well, he just wrote a paper that he doesn't believe that there's anything that's not fair or unfair. Right, but the law of God is written in our hearts, so exactly. it comes out anyway. Exactly. You cannot sustain a relative worldview because it's your view versus Hitler's view. It's the rapist view versus the victim's view. And, and exactly, and that's this is the problem. And, and remember we talked about before about it's common sense. I'm saying it right down the middle. I don't have a worldview. You do. You do have a worldview. It's just relative. It's just whatever you think is right. And so I think it's vital when you argue with someone. I never do that. You never do that. Okay, good. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like you, you're arguing right now. <laughs> when you're trying to convince somebody, right, to okay, see I things according to a way that you believe is true, mm-hmm. you first have to convince the person that they have a 
presupposition that they have a worldview. I think a branch of apologetics, uh, Phil, you can if you can correct me, is this idea that they have a presupposition yes. that there is no God. Correct. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is very clear that we know there is a God. And so a lot of it is sometimes just getting them to say, look, stop that. You know there's a God because the sun rises every morning. You know there's a God because you, you have this consciousness inside of you that tells you this is right and this is wrong. And so everyone has a worldview. Everyone has presuppositions, known or unknown. They have one. It's been f- forming from the time they were born up until this very moment. People have a worldview and it colors everything that they do, everything they say, every place they go. People that go to church versus people that don't go to church. Now, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. But, um, I mean, somebody wakes up and they read their Bible because they think that they need to have truth filtering through their life and someone else turns on the news because they want whatever the world is telling them to believe to filter through their life. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So so, so what are some of these... Uh, cultural lies because we just said you know the cultural view is wrong we would we say that's wrong well what are some cultural lies that we're being told that the bible says no it's not true this is is, is the opposite um one of them is that your sexuality doesn't depend <laughs> on uh your how, biology? You, yeah your gender doesn't depend on Biological. how you were born your biology yeah the, the doctor artificially chose for you yeah, <laughs> yeah give right. the so opportunity to realize you're a man. So there are people who are now. How many genders are there now? There's I, I think gender. there's about 556. Yeah, I think so I, I, I can't even. Keep and up. rising. Yeah, LGBTQAIPP. So I think. So what people and want you to do? Plus. They yeah. want you to deny the uh, science of biology and just lay aside common sense and now call that person by what they think they are. Steve, I, I like what you said before, and I think this is a very fitting place. The thing is, is that we have to go back to the garden. Exactly. This is where relativism started. This is where worldview thinking took place. Did God really say? Yes, he did. Right. And then he said, you won't surely die. He was giving a false and unbiblical worldview to Adam and Eve, and they bit. I I wouldn't go even further. Eve changed what God said. She filtered it. She presupposed what God meant. And then she and the de- and the devil and the snake were going back and forth about assuming what God said instead of just saying exactly what he said. Accusing yes. God, right? They were accusing God. They were. Yeah. God is a stingy, greedy. Did God say? You know, that's kind of how they were going about it. How about this one? Adam, where are you? It's the woman you gave me. The blame game. The blame game started right there In behind the a bush. Yes, 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 yes. Um you know, it wasn't my fault. It's not my fault. Is that's a worldview? It is. You know, taking responsibility versus everyone is a victim, but yeah. nobody is a culprit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Even during nine eleven, when the towers came down, mm-hmm. you have children and people in our country crying because they lost fa- lost family members and loved ones, and you got people in the Middle East. Children are giving candy, uh, being given candy to celebrate that the towers came down and that people died. Yeah. That what is that doing? It's forming worldview. Yeah, because in one culture, you know, America is the imperial West. They're conquering. They're evil. And in another culture, we are we are bringing freedom to the world. Absolutely, it's two different views. If you have a secular relative worldview, they they they, they both can be true, but in right. a biblical worldview, they can't both be true. No, right? Or we could say that equally, the the bad version is the truth, because <laughs> yes. we're all under sin. Yes, we are. And and back in the garden, ETH. Eve exchanged the truth of God for a lie of Satan. Adam follows suit, and the human mind has never been the same since. Even, 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 even a greater or just as applicable example is the first murder we talked about last time, right? Yes. God says, if you do good, will it not be accepted? And um, his worldview, Cain's worldview is the opposite, right? You didn't choose me be- and it's Abel's fault. I'm going to kill Abel. Right. Rather than God is telling him how to make it right. You offered the wrong offer. Do the right offer and I'll accept it. He didn't make it right with God, right? He tried to eliminate where he thought the problem was. Exactly. And I think people are doing that. We're just repeating this. Amen. And so a biblical worldview starts out, number one, that God is creator. And if God created us, we don't have a right to determine how we live. 
because we have a creator, mm-hmm. right? We have a God who created us for his glory. So also the problems of the world now, where does that come from? Because the original creation chose to believe a lie, right? And sinned against God. And therefore everything else is out of whack. All the problems stem back to the garden and sin. Yes. So that's a biblical worldview. Yes. So how do we address the problems of the world then? Well, I, I like I like that question you asked, and I really like in focusing on life's crucial questions. So let's look at these, and we're going to deal with that one. Origin, where did I come from? So the secular worldview says... An, an ape. Yeah, Big Bang, yep. right? Uh, the Christian worldview says, God created me. As far as our identity, who am I? God says that we're the crown of his creation. Amen. The secular worldview says... I'm stardust. just, yeah, I'm stardust. Uh, I'm an ape with less hair. I'm a primate with less hair. Why am I here? Well, the secular worldview says I'm just here to consume and enjoy at survival of the fittest. The Bible tells us that we're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What's wrong with the world? The Bible says we are. Me. Right. It's not out there. It's in here. It's in here. Sin. Yeah. And so. The world says that the problem with people, with the world, is people don't have enough education, enough medication, and enough government. So, I mean, the problem is defined wrong. Even though we might be looking at the same issue, we're looking at it through two different lenses. But there's nothing wrong with education and healthcare and government. Per se. But we have to understand what the biblical view of government is. Yes. Right? Because then who's governing the governors? I mean, if they're for the final say of all things. They have delegated authority. Exactly. Because if you say, listen, the government makes the laws, and so therefore the laws are good. We have to look at slavery. We have to look at Hitler. So taxes. Taxes. (laughs) No one likes taxes. (laughs) (laughs) They will be with you for all times. But here's the thing is that uh, God has given government, but the buck doesn't stop with government. It stops with God. Exactly. Because if you, if the government allows abortion, the murder of children, right? And the government says it's okay. Does that mean that it's okay with God? And so sometimes when people ask, well, it's legal. I, I'll ask them the question. Is it a is it legal according to the world or is it legal according to God? And so the world has a, a meta narrative, right? So they have a Big Bang, they have evolution, and then they have therapy, and then they have utopia. And so I'd like to read. So something. just be, just yeah. before you go on, so with government, is there a time that a Christian can disobey government? And be pleasing in God's sight. I would say when they contradict God. Exactly. So remember Peter and the uh, apostles were preaching in the book of Acts? Yes. And they told them, speak no more in this name. And what did people say? What did Peter say? It says, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And this is the, we have to understand the role of government. Government is to protect the people, right? Government has a limited role. It's God ordained. But government is only to be obeyed when government obeys God's word. Yes. When government goes beyond scripture, then as believers, we don't obey government. We obey God's word. And there's a price to pay for that. For, for example, abortion is legal, but we are not mandated by the government to abort. And if we were, we, we would we disobey. Would resist. Remember when Moses was born? The government wanted Moses to die, right? Yes, and the, 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 the midwives resisted. So what are we going to do when the government tells us we're not allowed to preach that homosexuality is a sin anymore? We're going to preach it anyway. In because, every sermon. Because God's word is clear on the issue. Amen. Before you think we're just religious zealots, you can think about it. The Bible says Genesis well, we are, 6, 5. Okay. Right, and to a certain extent, <laughs> right? But there's some things to be zealous, zealous about. In Genesis 6, 5, God, look, after, um, uh, before the flood, before the flood of Noah, God said, and it's still continuing to today, 
in Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and yes. that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How many imaginations? All. Every. <laughs> when? Everything. When? All the time. And so, so we cannot trust government. I'm saying don't trust your government. I'm saying but we cannot put all of our trust in men, which is government is made up of men. Exactly. So a biblical truth is that... Jesus talked about the evil came out of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Government's not the savior. But there's a worldview that says the government is. Exactly. And it's the big government that wants to tell you uh, how to live, right? About health care, about how to raise your children. A big government thinks it's the savior because that's a secular worldview thinking that you are too dumb to take care of yourself. So we're going to come in and tell you how to do it. And uh, we're not even advocating theocracy. We're not after advocating a religious government either because that didn't work in jerusalem and it it has never worked why because people's evil thoughts get into it and they start making up these rules the pharisees when jesus came to the earth his biggest problem he didn't go attacking all the the gentiles he was the pharisees who made up all these rules said the traditions that you've made of men are trying to override the traditions of god so we're not even advocating for we're just saying it cannot be in men it had to be in what what is what is the basis that we have to have yeah, yeah. Scripture. That's true. Scripture. Scripture alone. Now listen to this. We have a Christian merit, uh, meta-narrative, right? We have cre- uh, creation, we have corruption, which is the fall, and we have Christ, redemption, and consummation. And secular humanism has the same kind of narrative. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 22. It says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What is therefore you worship as unknown? This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and to find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. So what do we see there? We see Paul goes to creation. What should follow next? The fall, corruption. Look in verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image formed by the art or imagination of men, the times of ignorance God overlooks, but now God, he commands all men everywhere, repent. So we have redemption, and then it leads to uh, consummation. You you mentioned humanism. What's that? Humanism, a humanist, it, yeah. yeah, a humanist is a person who thinks that man is the deciding factor of all things. There is the denial of God, uh, secular humanism, the enlightenment. It wants to push God. It wants to push the Bible away from all things so that man can rule. We see that back at the Tower of Babel or Babel where Man wanted to make his name great, but the biblical worldview is to make God's name great. Actually, I shouldn't say to make his name great, to proclaim his great name because his name is already great. The secular humanist meta narrative, they replace creation with the Big Bang, the fall with evolution, redemption with therapy, and consummation with utopia. And meta narrative is just the, the overarching view, right? Yes, okay. it's, the, it's the story mm-hmm. version of how do we get here? Where are we going? What's wrong with the world? How can we be fixed? And where is this all going to end up uh, in 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 the final uh, in the final play of the game? So Paul spoke about creation, right? Yes. He went back to the garden, spoke about creation, right? He did. And so a biblical worldview always goes back to the beginning to base the foundation on God's original created order. So Glenn mentioned before that Christians look at the Bible with a presupposition. And they, yes. come, they come out with different outcomes. Mm-hmm. So in the area of women pastors, which we're going to do a podcast down the road, there's a disagreement between Christians. They read the same passages and their worldview on women is different, though they're reading from the same Bible. Yes. But Paul appeals to creation. It all right? goes back to the He Genesis. appeals to the created order and says, for it was Adam who was created first and not Eve. But part of the curse, listen to part of the curse, what God says in Genesis chapter 3, 
and verse 16 to the woman. He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In other words, the fall created this desire for the woman to usurp the authority of her husband, right? Right. And so we even see that in working its way out, even in, in churches. So a biblical worldview will look at God's created order and understand the role of women in the church based on God's creation, not the culture that says we need to set women free and women need to be equal with men. That means everything a man does, a woman should be able to do. And listen to this. Less than 10% of professing Christians have a biblical worldview. 51% of pastors, Mm. only 51% of pastors have a biblical worldview. So imagine if that's trickling down, if the pastors don't have a biblical worldview, what's going to happen to the sheep in the pews? What is their worldview going to look like? Two thirds are professing Christians deny absolute moral truth. 85 to 88% of church going kids believe what is right for you might not be right for another in terms of moral things. We already have 88% of kids growing up in Christian homes and in churches leaving the church by the age of 18 and 62% have a relativism based on what one experiences and only 5% are biblically literate and could be identified as actually having orthodox theology. Now, now these numbers. Wow, I, I I'm kind of speechless about it. But basically, staggering. If 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 we're if we're we're making this argument, this presupposition that yes. there there are really only two worldviews: the biblical Christian worldview and everything else. And within the Christian community, because we can't say everyone's saved in the Christian community. Very true. Ten percent believe in the biblical worldview. Fifty-one percent of pa- that. that it's like it's an uphill battle, and which yes. shows you like how many how many children leave the church? Eighty-eight percent, I think, it's up to eighty-eight so, percent. Christian parents raise their child, and the parent doesn't have a biblical worldview, and so their biblical worldview is: I'm going to send my child to the youth group, and you make my child a Christian. It's not working. It's not working after so, thirty years. What happens when that child leaves the youth group and goes to college, and now there's a professor who has a secular worldview and he begins to teach that secular worldview but that young christian or supposed christian doesn't have a biblical worldview what what happens phil the professor who has the phd um they seemingly are able to crush in one freshman philosophy class everything that the child has so called learn in church and youth group and it's all come to nothing so his christianity goes right out the window It seems that way, but the problem really is this. The problem is the kid didn't backslide. He never had Christianity. He never really had biblical Christianity (laughs) sown in his heart. And I think that's one of the major things that we want to talk about is this idea that you have a a worldview, but you don't realize you have a worldview. And a lot of Christians don't even understand that there is a difference between the worldviews. And so you have a child who sees you on Sunday worshiping, singing, putting your hand in the air, you know, falling in the spirit and all these other different things. And then you go to work and you're different. You go home, you're different. The way that they deal with them outside of home is different. And so what happens is there's a disconnect. And so when they go to to, to uh, a college and they said, hey, it's not real. They're like, you know, it's true. My father never really believed. Never even read though the you Bible said with it. me. Never prayed with me. Exactly. Never exactly. explained doctrine with me. Never explained what the Trinity was. Yeah, how could there be three gods in one person? That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And and I think this principle can be can highlighted in Matthew six twenty four when God says, "No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money." And so. That's the example of money, but it's the same thing. You have a you have two worldviews, and and yet you're living it out differently. And so we got to understand what the worldview is, and we have to see if we're really living it out. And if you're not, that's a different question. I think two worldviews. Psalm chapter one: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's the ungodly worldview. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Biblical worldview. Exactly. And here's the results. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. 
But here's what happens to the wicked. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So the problems of the world. Yes. Where do they come from? Do they come from systems or do they come from sin within? Back to the garden, all things, all blueprints we could see back in the garden. The problems in the world stem from our federal head, Adam and Eve. What they have done affects what we have done and what we do and how we think. So God created everything good. How many times did God say it was good in creation? Was it like six, seven times? Yeah. And so everything God made was good. And when he created man, he said it was very Very good. good. But it's not good anymore because of sin. Sin marred everything that God made was good. Absolutely. as a biblical worldview looks at the world now and sees the problem. Yes. Which is? Sin. So then what's the solution? The gospel. Always. Listen to what Paul says. For I deliver to you as of first importance. And now he begins to explain the gospel. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What is the first importance of a biblical worldview? The gospel. Why? Because the gospel answers the biggest problem that we have. And our biggest problem wasn't racism. Our biggest problem wasn't slavery. Our biggest problem isn't uh, uh, drunkenness. Our biggest problem isn't taxes. Our biggest problem isn't pornography. It's These are all an outcome of the biggest problem, which is sin. sin. These are symptoms of the. And so when we lose the gospel, we don't have an answer for the world. I agree, a hundred percent. And and so let's jump into what what's what's the benefit of the Christian worldview or the biblical. We can we can argue about this and what you believe in that, and but ultimately there there is something good that comes out of this biblical worldview that you do not get from the secular worldview. And I think um, Phil, we we Psalms nineteen kind of covers it all, right? If you want to read Psalm nineteen on your own, but I'm just going to give you some 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 highlights of it. Verse one of Psalm nineteen says, "The heavens declare the glory of the God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork." That's right? creation. General revelation. This we, we we all can we all get rain. We have food. The air we breathe. The fact that the earth is such and such degree from the sun that that's that's a miracle. Because a few degrees here or there, we we either be freezing or burned up. And as you're saying that, realize that when it says that God has created us, that means you're not a cosmic accident through random evolutionary processes. You have a purpose for being here, and God has made you. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not, you're not um, coming from apes. You know, it's, you know, God, God formed you purposely. You were made in the image of God. And that's a good point you made, Glenn, a general revelation, because general revelation doesn't tell you that there's a savior. It only tells you that there's a creator who created you. And so Christians would argue, what about those who never heard the gospel? How can God condemn people to hell who never had the opportunity to even reject the gospel because they never heard it? Well, the reason is because God condemns them, number one, because they're a sinner, but number two, they have rejected the book of God. What book? The book of general revelation. God's creation declares his glory. We see that in Romans chapter one, verse 19. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived even since creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. excuse. So general revelation is God's book of God, the creator who created everything. And man suppresses that truth of general revelation. And therefore God justly condemns sinners because they're sinners who reject God's general revelation. And once again, general revelation, and we can see all these different examples to a thing. He also talks about special revelation. We talked about the gospel a few minutes ago, right? Exactly. And one verse is verse 7 in Psalm 19. Once again, I encourage you to read this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, where do we get the law of the Lord from? From the Bible, from the Old Testament. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so there's a special revelation, the Bible, the biblical mandate from there. And we can find verses that are going to go even more specific about it. But, but, but the biblical worldview offers a solution to what is our biggest problem? Sin. Sin. Right? Yes. And there's only one solution to that. And so if you recognize that the biggest Wait, problem is Wait, I thought sin, my biggest problem was that I was white. Well, it's up there, but it's not a real problem in my mind. 
and and so and so and so and so if you if, if if you truly believe and you truly see the evilness of men's heart and that all the problems of the world have one one issue you got to there has to be a solution or this this life is hopeless right and the biblical solution is the only one that actually goes to the root of the problem and and so some other uh things that are profitable from having a christian worldview is that we can compete in the marketplace of ideas which are many and we have the corner of the market with a biblical worldview because it sustains itself. It doesn't contradict itself. Yeah. It helps us in evangelism. It helps us in discipleship. It helps us in, uh, in, in family. Uh, how do you raise your kids? Well, look in the scriptures, mm. right? What about marriage? Go back to the blueprints, right? Uh, prayer, handling money, scheduling your time, choosing what to watch and what not to watch, what to listen to and what not to listen to, uh, voting, politics. I mean, a biblical worldview helps in every single area of life. Even Christians even view death from a platonic worldview and not a biblical worldview. Oh, platonic. You got to break that down for me, Steve. Okay, so Plato believed that Mm -hmm. uh, in the simplest terms, physical is evil. Spirit right. is good. Exactly. So salvation to Plato was release from the prison of this mm, body. Mm. And so death was the release from the prison. And now your soul uh, uh, floated basically, you know, you remember the cartoons we watched with the Bugs Bunny dying and you know, yeah, yeah. floating on the cloud playing a harp? So Christians, be- <laughs> Christians believe that when we die, we're disembodied spirits and we're going to live in heaven forever. But that's not the hope that the Bible gives to us. The hope is the resurrection, that we will have a body, a physical body, and that we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth when New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven in Revelation, and we're going to live with God in a physical body. So you hear people who I know who tell me it doesn't matter what I do with my body because my body is sinful, but my spirit is saved. So you have Christians living a platonic Christianity of thinking I can sin with my body, but my spirit is saved, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. What if what if you shoot them? Exactly, <laughs> it matters yeah, at that it moment, matters right? Then. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. very true. So, ch- listen to this quote from the book Thinking Biblically: People who follow the Word of God are not left to wander around in the fog of human opinion. Remember Martin Luther? He said, "My conscience is held captive." To the word of God. Hence the Reformation was sparked because Luther had a view, a biblical worldview over Roman Catholicism. Mm. And a whole, the whole Protestant Reformation took place because someone had a more biblical worldview. Mm. And, and we could keep talking about all the benefits and, and, and why it's a superior thing. But I mean, is this is this even worth talking about? I mean, can a person's mind be changed? Absolutely. Well, we, we just talked about we're born and the culture, and 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 it could be largely unconscious. Phil, how, how do we change? Phil, break mind? out Romans twelve one and two. Romans chapter twelve verse one and two. Paul tells us that we need to be renewed in our minds, transformed by the renewal of our minds. And what transforms our mind? The Word of God. The Holy Spirit that abides within our life. And when the word of God is pressed upon our lives, we begin to think like Christ. And that happens when we're regenerated, when we're born again, when he gives us a new heart with new desires and new thinking. And no, everything might not go out the window like automatically. Like some people have come to Christ and cursing went out the window immediately. immediately. Right? I think you said that happened for you. That was me. I cursed like a sailor. Well, I was a merchant seaman, so I was a sailor. (laughs) So every other word was a filthy word out of my mouth. But when I got saved, within a week, I noticed the cursing was gone. I didn't even try to stop. It just, it was gone. It was gone. Well, 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 would you say that a a redeemed, born again, in the church, they love God with all their heart, their all their mind, and all their soul, at least at one moment, right? That 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 one of the major problems that a Christian might be having is that they have not understood this worldview issue. Absolutely. So so so. And why not, Glenn? Mm-hmm. What's coming from the pulpit? What's informing them of a exactly? World? Exactly. They're hearing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and 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 it's reinforcing this bad worldview. And you know, one of the issues I have with being saved is I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. 
And so things like devotions, things like, you know, prayer closets, things like how to raise a thing. I have, I'm like coming up with it all on my own. And if we don't have discipleship, like yes. what Phil always advocates, you're going to make it up. And a lot of pastors aren't teaching their people how to think biblically. What they're doing is providing experiences for them. Mm-hmm. Right, oh, an yes. experiential Sunday service with the dim lights and the exciting music, and but they're not teaching them how to study the Bible. They're not teaching them what systematic theology is. They're not teaching them what doctrine is. Mm-hmm. Right, who God is, like the right. attributes of God. When I when I was first saved, whenever we had a dilemma, we would like call the pastor mm-hmm. and ask him what we should think about this situation, rather than him giving us the tools to deal with different situations. Exactly. Oh well, I found money on the floor. What should I do? Let's call the pastor and find out what he thinks about this thing, rather than. Return God's law saying. Yeah, you know, I mean, is, is there a such a thing as finders keepers in the Bible? I don't know. Let's go look it up. Let's find out what it says about that. Yeah, I mean, this is the very reason why I use something called the Baptist Catechism to teach my children to have a biblical worldview. It's a Q&A format. So I ask them a question, and then they learn the, the biblical answer. So, yes, I'm hoping that they do think like me as long as I'm thinking like Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So basically, we would we would we would say, you got to renew your mind. I mean, look, you got to get to a, a a sound church. Let's start there. You got to you got to start asking the question of what am I hearing on the pulpit? Is it matching what's in the Bible? And and and, and, and a good way to do that, if your pastor is reading a verse and then talking forty minutes about personal stories, leave. <laughs> you want someone who's preaching. The scripture. Yeah. There, there has to be a little conviction in there. None of us live this world outright. So if you're going to church and every week that sermon is just making you feel uplifted, I, it's not, you're missing something, you know? Because we're it, sinners. We need to exactly, be corrected. Exactly. We need to see our sin. The word of God is like a mirror and we don't like to see ourselves. Yeah. But sometimes I'm, we need to see ourselves because how can we change? How can we have a renewed mind if we don't realize we're thinking wrong? So if you're in a good church, then you're going to have what's called expository preaching, preaching what the scripture says, not just a pastor picking his favorite topics, telling a bunch of stories and running running away with his own hobby horse. It's going to renew your mind. You're going to have more Christ-like thinking, set your mind on things above. It's going to have the great reversal, exchanging the lies of this world for the truth of God. And God's word is going to dwell in you richly. It's going to be the ultimate soul food. And when we learn to think biblically and we adopt a biblical worldview, then we understand how to vote in the voting booth. Correct? Then we understand how to live our lives out in this world that is opposed to God because we got a biblical worldview. Yeah. That's right. Let me close with this verse. Philippians chapter four and verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It. 